T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. The owners of this country know the truth. It's called the American dream because you have to be asleep to believe it. I'll lead an effective strategy to mobilize true international depression. Mark Reardon. So in the words of my late friend Aretha Franklin, show some R-E-S-P-I-C-T. This is the Mark Reardon Show. Well, happy MLK Day. I hope it's been a good one for you. Hope you've stayed warm today because it has been a chilly one. The pregame is almost done for the Iowa caucuses. They are going to get that started at about 7 o'clock tonight. Uh, We have got a lot of uh, coverage of that that you're going to see here, or you're going to hear here on 97.1. From 6 to 7, we've got a one-hour caucus preview that features uh, Brett Baer, Martha McCallum, and uh, Dana Perino. And then the coverage will actually happen at 7 o'clock. And hopefully by around 10-ish, or maybe earlier, we'll see. Uh, if we have a winner of how that's going to turn out. It is freezing cold, as you have heard, not only here in St. Louis, but especially in Iowa. So it's one of those kind of things of, wait, didn't I just hear that this was the warmest year ever? Wasn't it supposed to be really hot, and aren't the oceans supposed to start boiling before too long? How did we end up with it's going to be minus 15 wind chill tonight in St. Louis. Well, Steve Malloy is the guy that you may have heard of. He's a publisher of junk science, but he is recognized as one of the uh, best minds when we start talking about climate and how this works. And he's joining us today on 97.1. Steve, how are you? Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, by all means, it's a great time for you to join because when we start looking at all this, Did I miss something along the line? Because didn't we just get this big story at the end of the year where they talked about 2023 was the hottest year ever on record? And then all of a sudden we see this massive cold front that blows through. And it's one of those kind of things of I don't know what to believe, if anything, anymore that I hear about climate. (laughs) Well, sure. So, you know, this hottest year nonsense is all based on this concept of average global temperature, which really has no physical meaning. You know, nobody lives, nobody lives where there's average global temperature. Where do you do it anyway? How do you do it? And for people that are saying, like, oh, it's the hottest year, 125,000 years, well, how do they know? I mean, this, the, you know, the, the guesstimated average global temperature for last year uh, relies on satellites. Where were the satellites 125,000 years ago? Of course, there were none. <laughs> you know, we, we know that the past four interglacial periods, we're in one now, we're warmer than today. Uh, there's, just, there's just nothing, no there there. You know, these people have been hyperventilating about uh, climate um, now for 
30 years. Um, they've never been right about anything. Um, and, you know, they're probably never going to be right because they've got the wrong idea. You know, they, they, they have this fantasy that emissions, you know, carbon dioxide emissions from tailpipe smokestack, blah, blah, uh, cause the weather. And, in fact, the weather has nothing to do with emissions. And so that explains why they're always wrong, because they are just stuck. You know, they've got all their reputations, Al Gore, John Kerry, Joe Biden, every climate scientist, Harvard, Yale. You know, all these, all these institutions have bet on this notion that emissions drive the weather and climate. And, of course, there's no scientific evidence for that. Uh, it's just where the money is, which is why they do it. And um, so they're always wrong. I, and, uh, yeah, so it, it's very cold now because it's winter. <laughs> Hello. I, <laughs> I, I thought we were all supposed to become vegetarians because it was, it was the cows passing gas in the yeah. field that was causing all of these problems. Right. Uh, you know, so until 2023, the, for the previous eight years, there had been no global warming at all, despite hundreds of billions of tons of emissions, including cow farts. And there, but there had been no global warming. But what happened last year? So last year there was this natural phenomenon coming out of the Pacific called an El Nino. You know, the Pacific <clears throat> gets very warm, and it warms, um, uh, the, warms the planet. And then also uh, there, was, you know, there were fewer clouds last year, which lets through more sunshine. And, and, and so that, that's the explanation for why you know, 2023 was kind of weird. Plus there was also a huge underwater volcanic explosion in 2022 that put like 165 million tons of, of water vapor into the stratosphere. So that these all, all these things have had an effect. And now, um, you know, it's going to be cold uh, uh, for the rest of winter. Um, you know, we'll see how it works out. We'll see how long this El Nino lasts. But, you know, one way to know that these guys don't know what they're talking about, the climate alarmists I'm talking about, um, is that they can never predict anything. You know, have, did they predict this winter? No. Uh, so far, they're thinking that 2024 is going to be even hotter than 2023, which is which is total nonsense. You can't even use the term hot when it comes to you know this average global temperature. If you if you do run the numbers, the average global temperature is about 58 degrees. Is that hot? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're talking with Steve Malloy. You know, Steve. I so I'm 57. And I remember when I was a kid, when I'm talking elementary school, right? So back in the mid-70s, I remember seeing all of this talk about how the coming ice age was where we were. And I actually remember seeing a documentary, and I think they played it for us in class, which is why it stuck with me. But New York City was supposed to be threatened by the incoming glaciers because the glaciers were growing at such a rapid rate that we were going to have a second ice age. And then here we sit 50 years later and they're talking about the fact of, no, it's global warming. Is that why they got rid of global warming and they went to (laughs) climate change? Because climate change is a very nebulous term that kind of covers everything. So, yeah, in, in the 1970s, that was the end of a mid-20th century cooling period from, like, 1940 to 1980. And it was getting colder, and people were blaming emissions, imagining that we were going into an ice age. And then in, around 1980, it stopped. We started getting all these El Ninos, which are natural warmings. And that flipped the script. 
And it took them about 10 years to catch on, but then they caught on and, and went from global cooling to global warming. And then, you know, they were about 10 years into global warming when there was really no more global warming. Everything was kind of flat, although emissions kept going up at a period known as the Great Pause, lasted about 14 years. And uh, then they went to climate change. <laughs> and since climate change, it's been extreme weather, weather weirding. You know, any time the weather is inclement, it's climate change. Is it just an opportunity for somebody to make money? Is is that what we're at? I don't I don't mean to be that guy that is so simplistic about everything, and I don't mean to dismiss everything. I'm sure there's there's information you know to talk about. It supports this, supports that. But like when I'm again growing up, nuclear power was all the rage, and yeah. we were gonna have you know so much power that we could never use it all because nuclear was the thing that was going on. When I graduated high school, I took the ASVAB test before I got out, and the Navy wanted me to join the nuclear program. And they were talking about all these things they were going to do. But now all of a sudden, nuclear is a a bad thing, and we can't even have nuclear because that's going to destroy something as well. Right. Well, so there's a lot of agendas at work. Uh, The one that's probably most important for us is, you know, the American left has latched on to climate change as a means of controlling, uh, you know, our lives and controlling the economy. Because if you control energy, you you control everything. Uh, There's a financial agenda. You have, you know, the wind, solar, EV companies that, you know, want the mandates and subsidies because, you know, the products don't work. And the only way they can make any money is if the government orders you to buy them and then subsidizes it. So there's that agenda. And, uh, you know, another worrisome agenda uh, is uh, communist China. So communist China is one of the world's biggest emitters. Do they care about climate? No. <laughs> but no. they're happy to sell us all this wind, solar, EV crap, um, knowing that all it's going to do is screw up our economy, make, our, make us dependent on China, you know, weaken our national security. So you know, they have a ge- geopolitical uh, agenda. So you've got the American political agenda, you've got the, the rent-seeking agenda, and then you've got the communist Chinese out there. And so we are caught in this vice. And uh, you know, our, our, our only hope is really Republican politicians, um, and you know, they could do a better job. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know there's got to be a pathway out of this, and I know you were yeah. part of the uh, of the Trump Pence team with the EPA transition team there. But th- yeah. the EPA for a long time has seemed to be, and and I, I should know more about this. I grant you, but they seem to be the the big boogeyman in the room. And it yeah. seems like anything that we talk about that's going to give us more energy than. It's got so many restrictions that they've got to put on it that it makes sure that it can't be profitable. Am I dreaming that, or is that something that's actually happening? No. So, so the EPA is more than 50 years old now. Uh, I, I have been working on these issues for more than 30 years. When I started working on environmental issues, you know, virtually every environmental issue was, had either been solved or was on the way to being solved. And so 30 years later, all EPA has been doing is – uh, for lack of a better description, overregulating. Um, that you know, their 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 um, their the regulations are not accomplishing anything, but they're costing a lot of money. You know, the EPA, of course, is now is is a terribly politicized agency. 
Um, you know, Nixon created it in 1970 to appease the anti-war left, and he staffed it with all these, you know, left-wingers in there. So it's a very politicized agency. Uh, really needs to be cut down to size. You know, we were hoping during the Trump administration that would happen. Uh, you know, maybe whatever. Republican administration comes next, you know, if it's not too late for the country, uh, we can get back to work <laughs> at, uh, you know, whittling down EPA. You know, most environmental protection is now done by the states. Fifty years ago, that was not the case. There weren't very many state environmental protection agencies, but now every state has a thriving one. And uh, so we don't really need this overbearing, expensive, you know, really sort of a negative <laughs> on our society, EPA. So we're talking with Steve Malloy. Last question before I, I let you get out of here. You know, the Biden administration has been pushing this electric cars. And Annie was talking about it earlier today uh, before we came on the air. And just talking about the fact that if we actually did hit the targets that the Biden administration wants us to do with electric cars, our national grid can't support the electricity that would be needed to fuel all of these electric cars. I mean, it seems like they have a policy that in it lives in nowhere near the same world as where our energy grid is. Like, where are we going from here, Steve? Where? What's our only hope to get out of what seems to be this craziness that doesn't work? Well, so that's a great question. You know, we are we're, we're destroying our grid with more wind and solar. At the same time, we're burdening it with you know, nonsense, electrification, heat pumps, and especially EVs. Um, and, and, you know, and of course, you know, during the first part of the Biden administration, Congress threw $369 billion. So there's lots of money for the rent seekers. Um, it's just, it's an awful mess. Um, if, if you want to stop it, you're going to have to have a new president and a new administration and a new party running the country because the Democrats are all in on this and all, you know, big business, they love all the subsidies. Now, you know, EVs are, are, have been a complete disaster. You know, in November, Ford lost $60,000 per EV sold. Wow. Uh, you know, factories are closing down. Um, EVs cost too much. They're inconvenient. They really don't save anybody any money. Over the, over 10 years, an EV gets subsidized to the tune of about 50,000 uh, taxpayer dollars. They're just, you know, they're going to go down in history as failed government industrial policy. Yet we're stuck with it now. We can't get rid of them until we get a new government, and and that's just where we are now. Well, Steve, I appreciate you taking some time today. If people want to follow along with you and and follow. Uh, what you're talking about. What's the best way for them to track you? So my website is junkscience.com, but I spend most of my time on uh, what used to be called Twitter, and now it's called X. You can get me at junkscience. At junkscience. Steve, we appreciate you taking some time on this holiday. I hope you stay warm on this hottest (laughs) record ever, but uh, it's a pretty cold weekend here in St. Louis. It's nine degrees right now, and the wind chill is below zero. So we appreciate you taking some time with us today. Thanks for having me. That is Steve Malloy. You know, there's all kinds of junk science out there. And it's tough to get through all the noise and figure out what's true and what's not. And where are we going to be able to go from here? If you haven't noticed, um, there may have been a couple of stories that you've heard about the border. You heard anything about that? We're going to talk with Ira Melman on the other side. Uh, He's going to tell us a little bit about what's going on with that. He is part of the federal... um, the Federation for American Immigration Reform. And we're going to figure out how do you get 9 million people coming across your border 
And what does that do to your economy? It's the Mark Reardon Show. My name is Mike Elam, sitting in for Mark today on this MLK holiday on 97.1 FM. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseballs and boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Talk. Listening to the Mark Reardon Show on 97.1 FM Talk. Well, we hope your MLK Day is going well. Joe Beamer was supposed to be filling in today, but uh, Kyle and I are thinking that Joe decided to call in sick uh, because he found out that Buffalo and uh, the Steelers ended up getting their game pushed. So they got pushed back to today. And he's a big Bills fan. He actually, Joe's actually in Buffalo, I think. So I think that's what's going on. Joe actually wanted to be off today and and go do that. But uh, Kyle and I have ushered on without him, so we appreciate that. Ira Melman is joining us right now. And Ira is a guy that you really want to hear from. He's part of the Federation for American Immigration Reform. And if you have paid attention at all to what is going on in our country right now, we are being invaded not just from our southern border, but from other borders. And if you go to the Federation for American Immigration Reform, they actually have a counter on their website of illegal border crossings today, which is incredible. Ira, thank you so much for taking some time on this MLK Day to join us. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, as we have seen this happen, uh, I was on another radio program a number of months ago, and this has been Oh, shoot, probably almost a year ago. And the other gentleman was uh, left persuasion with his politics. And I was talking about the fact that at the time we had over three million people. And I said, that's that's basically one percent of our population that has invaded our country. And he looked at me and he said, yeah, I don't care. I, I mean, should we be overly concerned about this as I feel that we should? Oh, absolutely, and for a variety of reasons. 
first of all, you have the FBI director testifying before Congress that this is a great threat to our national security. The world has been a dangerous place for a while, but since October 7th, it has become even more dangerous with overt threats from the Iranian regime and all their proxy terrorist groups uh, that they intend to carry out a strike against the United States at a time and place of their choosing. Well, our policies, our president's policies at the border are making it easy for them. When you have three million people a year coming across that border illegally, and we're finding out now that the vast majority of them are being released into the United States, plus 1.7 million people who we know came across the border but were never apprehended, uh, who have made it into the country ever since Joe Biden took office, that is a very, very dangerous situation. We don't know who these people are. Uh, you know, most of them are here because they are looking for better jobs, better opportunities. Uh, but our enemies understand what our vulnerabilities are, and they will use it against us if we allow them to. Second, you, you've got the situation in cities all across the United States. New York is getting the most attention uh, because they're getting the most number of people. That's also the center of the media world. Uh, you, you know, you look at what Mayor Attic Eric Adams is dealing with there. Uh, he has no place to house people. Uh, the schools are overwhelmed. Kids are being pushed out of schools in order to make room to shelter migrants who are coming into the country. The reason we have laws, the reason every country on, on earth has immigration laws is because we recognize that there is a capacity. Uh, no country can endlessly absorb people who are come into the country uh, without it affecting in a very, very adverse way the people who live in that country. It, it's just amazing to think that we would be in a country where they would kick American students in Brooklyn out of high school and they would put illegal immigrants in their high school and tell them, you're going to go do remote learning. How did we end up at this point? We end up at this point because you have an administration that is just bent on keeping that border open. They don't care what the costs are, what the risks are. This is an ideologically driven program on their part. They understand that it's not popular with the American public. And you look at the pub public opinion polling, uh, they're in the low 30s when it comes to immigration policy and border security. But they also recognize that they're playing the long game here, that if you bring people into this country, however they get here, it becomes very, very difficult to remove them. Uh, so, you know, they're not looking uh, at the next election. They're looking 10, 15 years down the road, uh, how it, it is going to transform this country in a way that they want to see it transformed. So, uh, Look, I mean, that they are willing to sacrifice the interests of the American public, and we, the American people, are paying a price. It, it seems like even their own party has turned against them. Um, it, it, and I don't understand how do, you, how do you stay on this path if you're people in your biggest cities that have said, you know, we're sanctuary cities. Well, we didn't really mean that. And now that you've called us on it and you're going to send all these people to us, we go, hey, hey, no, just kidding. We didn't really mean we were sanctuary cities. We thought we only had like a thousand. We weren't well, expecting 30 to show up. Yeah. I mean, I, I wish they were serious about getting rid of their sanctuary policies. Uh, none of them have moved to get rid of those policies, by the way. Uh, they haven't even forcefully called on the administration to stop it. What they're saying is send us more money. Uh, you know, instead of 
saying to the administration, this has to stop. It's endangering people. Uh, it is straining resources to the breaking point. All they're asking for is more money. If they're looking for a bad guy, they usually point at Governor Greg Abbott from Texas, uh, who is busing people to these sanctuary cities because they said they're sanctuary cities. Uh, but uh, Greg Abbott is not the problem. He's just trying to cope with what he's dealing with in Texas. Uh, the problem starts in the White House with Joe Biden and the Department of Homeland Security, by Alejandro Mayorkas. By the way, uh, the House has initiated impeachment proceedings against him. They are the people who created these policies and they refuse to stop them. You talked about uh, the impeachment proceedings that are getting started. What is the process for him actually getting removed from office? Well, the, you know, they have to hold hearings uh, in the House. It's much like we saw a couple of years ago with the impeachment of Donald Trump. Uh, they bring the charges in the House. Uh, in the Republican-controlled House, they're likely to find that he is subject to impeachment. Uh, but then it has to go to the Democratic-controlled Senate, where it's another matter. Uh, but the point is, it exposes what has been going on to the American people. The American people understand uh, that something is going seriously wrong. But as you go through these proceedings and it is revealed all the steps that this administration has taken systematically to undermine the security of this country, to undermine the laws of this country, that gets the public's attention. And, it, you know, even if the Senate doesn't convict, uh, it has still served a purpose. Do you think you you talked about the fact that they're trying to do a long game here and they're talking decades as opposed to a short term? So you've seen uh, Vice President Harris was named the border czar, which is laughable, but she was named the border czar years ago and she has never actually been to the border. President Biden has been around this border states, but he's never been to the border since he's been president. They don't seem to be willing to go even acknowledge that it's there. But isn't this going to catch up with them before too very long? I mean, it just doesn't seem sustainable for a long period of time to get them where they want to get to. It's absolutely unsustainable, and we're seeing that play out. We talked about cities and states all across the country. Uh, uh, Biden and Harris actually have paid a, a, you know, the obligatory visit just to basically shut up their critics. But mostly what they've seen is a Potemkin village. Uh, you know, when Joe Biden went down to El Paso, Texas, about a year ago, they just went out and cleaned everything up before he got there. So he saw what they wanted, what the administration, uh, the people who work for him wanted him to see. Uh, but look, I mean, well, they're not stupid. They understand what is going on. They don't care. This is a deliberate policy. This is not incompetence. This is by design. Uh, and that's what we have to remember that, uh, you know, everything we're seeing going on right now is exactly what they want to see go on. And they have no incentive to stop it at this point uh, unless the American public makes them. We're talking with Ira Melman. He is part of the Federation for American Immigration Reform. There was a story that you had on your website about big city mayors continue to insist on faster work authorization for migrants. I know they talk about the fact that everybody needs employees, and, and that's true. You go pretty much anywhere. You see help wanted signs. But can you talk a little bit about what that would mean for our country if they actually give them working permits? 
Well, first of all, it would mean we'd probably get more people coming across that border illegally. You know, most of the people who are coming across that border and saying they want asylum are not legitimate asylum seekers. They understand that it gets them into the country, that it could be years, sometime, you know, sometime into the 2030s before they have their case adjudicated. In the meantime, they're here. Uh, so the idea of giving people work authorization more quickly is just an incentive for more economic migrants to come here and abuse the asylum system. Uh, the reason that restriction was put in place was precisely to prevent that sort of behavior. Uh, at the same time, uh, it also undermines the interests of similarly skilled American workers. Uh, the law of supply and demand says if you're going to flood the labor market, you're going to drive down the cost of labor. Uh, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If poor wages and working conditions are offered, then Americans don't show up to take those jobs. And the employers can say, oh, well, you know, you see, we need all these people to come do these jobs. No, no country should exist or, or, or try to create a system where we can exploit people who will work more cheaply than the American people will work. It doesn't serve any long-term interest. And it's not cheap labor. It's subsidized labor. If you're earning very low wages in this country, you are relying on services. If you have kids, you put them in school. There's no way you can pay enough in taxes on these meager wages to cover the cost of you and your family being here. You know, it's that old joke that uh, the problem with socialism is eventually you run out of other people's money. Uh, California seems to be doing that by by trying to give all of these illegal aliens free health care. It, it's another thing that it, it's one of those things where California had this huge uh, budget surplus and then within a year they squandered it all and now now they're back to a budget deficit again yeah i was going to say california is exhibit a and that exhibit b is probably new york uh, you know, they are hemorrhaging taxpayers. The, for the first time in American history, people, more people are leaving California than moving to California uh, because it has become so onerous. Uh, you have the productive class paying for a growing number of people uh, who are earning very low wages, relying on services. Uh, you know, it's not just paying, for instance, for the schools. Uh, you know, once schools reach a certain point where half the kids don't speak English, that's when the tax-paying public takes their kids out. So on top of paying taxes uh, to educate everybody, they're also having to put their own kids in private schools. And eventually people say, enough is enough. You know, I love the palm trees, love the beautiful weather, but I'm getting out of here. What happened to our whole remain in Mexico policy that President Trump had going on? That seemed to be working pretty well. It was, and that's precisely why Joe Biden gutted it on the very first day he was in office. Uh, again, you know, as I said, this is not happening by accident. This is happening by design. Uh, the policy was working. It deterred people from entering bogus asylum claims. Uh, in order to enter an asylum claim, you had to wait in Mexico till uh, you could go before an adjudicator. Uh, there would be a determination whether there was a valid claim to pursue or not. If there was no valid claim, you weren't going to get into the United States. If there was, you could come uh, and pursue that claim. Uh, and the whole trick here is to get your two feet on U.S. soil. Once you are in this country, it is virtually impossible to remove you. So once that deterrent was taken away, uh, people came across the border. They didn't wait for the Border Patrol to apprehend them. They would turn themselves in because they knew they'd be processed, uh, given a notice to appear sometime you know, years into the future. In the meantime, they would get to remain here in this country 
Maybe they show up for the hearing. Maybe they don't show up. But they know that there's virtually no chance that they're going to be removed. And so that's what the Remain in Mexico policy deterred. It was working effectively, and that's exactly why this administration canceled it. Ira, does your organization have an idea of how many people you really believe are in this country illegally? Well, we, we did a report last year. But the estimate is somewhere around 16.5 million. Again, this was done almost a year ago, and we've had record levels of illegal immigration since. So, you know, it, it is certainly above 16 million today. Uh, and, you know, as long as we keep this border open, it is going to continue to grow. And, you know, it, it just cumulatively, it becomes unsustainable, as you pointed out a little while ago. We, we simply cannot afford to just bring people in endlessly without it, without recognizing that it's going to affect every vital interest that this country has. So obviously to fix this, it's going to have to be a multi-phase approach. I mean, it's it's the old adage of, hey, if your boat is sinking, uh, the first thing you have to do is plug the leak, not bail the water. Once you plug the leak, though, then you need to bail the water. When you're looking at a, a long-term fix, um, there's going to have to be a change in the White House, obviously. There's going to have to be legislative reform, I would assume, that's going to have to happen. Obviously, a policy change. But even with that, you're going to be looking at, I would guess, if you're talking about more than a year ago, it was over 16. We're 20 plus million people who are in this country illegally. I know that's a lot to throw at you, but I'm looking for more of a what is a true solution to fix this issue? Well, you know, actually, the House did pass some good legislation last May, uh, H.R. 2, uh, which eliminated, you know, all the, the, the various loopholes in the laws that we've been talking about. Uh, there were fixes in there for them. And, and most of all, it took away the discretion of the president and the executive branch not to enforce the law. Uh, you know, what they have been claiming is that they have unlimited discretion to simply ignore the law, which basically amounts to dictatorship in four-year increments. You know, Congress, you can pass whatever you want, but if we don't like it, we're just not going to implement it. So, uh, you know, there's nothing you can do to us. Uh, there is an opportunity right now. President Biden is trying to get a supplemental foreign aid bill through Congress. Uh, and he, this is something he wants as he's embarking on his reelection year. Uh, there's talk of including H.R. 2 in that bill, that if he wants the foreign aid that he's looking for, it's got to include security for our own border. Uh, you know, the, the House seems to be drawing a line in the sand and saying, yeah, you know, w we're not going to pass anything unless H.R. 2 is in there. Uh, in the Senate, you know, especially some of the Republicans who are negotiating are kind of getting weak in the knees. So we have to wait and see how this plays out. But there is an opportunity to do something now to take away the discretion of this administration and future administrations to simply decide, you know what, we don't like the law, so we're just not going to enforce it. Because, as I said, that's not a constitutional democracy. That's dictatorship in four-year increments. Well, Ira, we appreciate you uh, being on top of this issue. We appreciate uh, FAIR, the Federation of American Immigration Reform, keeping track of this. What's sad is in just the time I've been talking with you, your clock has gone up. Over 1,200 people have illegally crossed the border just in the short time that, that we've been talking. But it, it gives you an idea of, of where we are. Hey, I appreciate you making some time on your MLK Day. I hope you have a, a great rest of your evening, and I'm sure you're probably going to be like the rest of
of us watching the caucus tonight and trying to figure out, are, are we at least going to start the process of figuring out who's going to be our next president? Yeah, uh, we hope so. Uh, you know, I think the American public wants is looking forward to, to, to getting the process in place here. Well, we appreciate you taking some time with us and uh, look forward to catching up with you down the road. Thanks. That is Ira Melman. He is the spokesman for the Federation for American Immigration Reform. So many people here illegally. That just seems like such a heavy lift. But if you don't start now, it's not going to get easier. So you're going to have to start sooner rather than later. We are going to get to our audio cut of the day on the other side. Uh, And it seems like uh, we're also getting closer, not just to who's going to be the Republican nominee, but who's actually going to make the NFL playoffs. We'll talk a little bit about that on the other side as well. It's Mike Elam sitting in for Mark Reardon today. St. Louis is home for conservative talk. We are 97.1 FM Talk. You're listening to The Mark Reardon Show on 97.1 FM Talk. It's always good to wrap up the day with a little Zeppelin. Thank you, Kyle. I appreciate that. Uh, Hope you've had a great MOK day. I've had a great time getting to fill in today. Uh, We didn't get to watch the uh, Buffalo Bills and Pittsburgh Steelers game. Uh, They're still in the third quarter. Josh Allen evidently ripped off the second largest run for a quarterback for a touchdown in a playoff game, 52 yards. That boy can haul, can't he? He can. He's fast. He is fast. You, and he doesn't look like it when, he, when he's running, but he actually he has got some long legs, so the boy gets down the field pretty quickly. Right. He's a big guy, too, so it's even more impressive. So we're going to end up, it looks like, if, if things continue the way you're going, you're going to have Buffalo taking on Baltimore. Uh, if the Bills beat the Steelers here, it'll be Bills Chiefs. Oh, Bills Chiefs. So and then it'll be Ravens Texans in the All right. NFC. So you got Ravens Texans and uh, and Bills Chiefs. Well, so you know the Bills Chiefs game is going to be freaking freezing. It's going to be cold. Both it, games are going to be so cold. So it, I don't know if if the Bills win. Do they play in Kansas City? Or they play in Buffalo. It'll be in Buffalo. Oh, even worse. Right. <laughs> wow. That's that's going to be bad. Yeah. Um. So we'll find out what's going to happen there, it, but that's that's kind of how it's looking right now. But at least those should be good games. They so will. that'll that'll be good to watch. I'll be happy about that. It is eight degrees outside right now. Your wind chill is below zero. Uh, I was seeing a, a story that Memphis actually has declared a state of emergency with ice storm warnings. So it seems like the weather is even worse south of us than it is north of us, believe it or not. North is getting the snow. The south is getting the ice. And we seem to be living right because God seems to be skipping us uh, with that stuff. So I will take that. Um, You know, the federal government just keeps finding ways to suck the joy out of our lives. It's kind of where they live these days. And there are some places that they go to that you wouldn't even think about. But we've got a whole new one of how they've decided to make sure, even while you're in the car and driving, that they make sure you don't have a good time. And it brings us to our audio cut of the day. Playback ready. Now, the audio cut of the day. So those clever messages on the electronic highway signs across Arizona that many of us enjoy seeing, well... 
they may be coming to an end. The feds came out with a new manual to regulate the signs, and they say cute messages are not part of the plan. One section specifically says to avoid pop culture references and humorous messages. The main reason is it takes uh, it can take drivers longer to process the meaning, which could lead to a crash, and that means ADOT's annual safety message contest will likely come to an end. So I didn't even realize. So this is happening everywhere because it's federal. So it'll be on every high day. So highway. So the MoDOT, IDOT signs where they'll have funny little sayings on there, you know. So that's got to stop. And, and I don't know when it kicks in, but I thought it was interesting that in Arizona, evidently, they have a contest of coming up with humorous signs that their Department of Transportation uses to be able to put up on those little boards. I was like, what a great idea. I, I didn't think anything about that. But when they did the, uh, the story, I thought, okay, Arizona getting creative on how we're going to come up with those messages. And uh, I'm, I'm curious, if your message gets used on a board, do you get something for it? I don't know. You get like free toll pass for a year or something? I don't, I don't know how that's going to work out. Um, well, Iowa caucuses are going on tonight, and I know we've talked about it at nauseum of how cold it is, but, um, yeah, they're talking about negative 37, negative 25, uh, for the folks who are venturing out in Iowa. Iowa's also got a lot of snow that they're dealing with as well. And even though they cleared the roads because the winds are blowing so bad that uh, once they get them cleared, they're getting blown back over. So a lot of folks are talking about, they don't know that they want their elderly parents or grandparents or whatever to venture out in this. So it's really anybody's idea as to how many people are actually going to show up. I think it was 186,000 was the record that they had in 2016. Um, but we'll see how many people actually come out for this one. We do have great coverage after we finish up here just a little bit. From 6 until 7, we've got a caucus premiere program with Brett Baer, Martha McCallum, and Dana Perino that's going to be on. And then at 7 o'clock tonight, we have starting uh, live caucus coverage. Co-anchors uh, Jared Halpern and Jessica Rosenthal are going to be on there. Fox News Radio is going to be there. Uh, Josh Krushauer is going to be on all kinds of folks, all the folks that you know from Fox News are going to be a part of that. So it's going to be interesting as as we walk through it. I don't know what the Iowa surprise is going to be, but they always talk about there's always some sort of surprise. What does that mean tonight? And what would qualify as a surprise, I wonder? I mean, Ramaswamy, you know, maybe getting third place. That would be huge. Uh, does Nikki Haley end up in second? I think this has got to be the time where DeSantis has got to end up at least in second. And hopefully he ends up in a strong second uh, for his sake. If he doesn't, he's got to be done. I mean, I just don't see a path forward. Um, everybody right now seems to be concluding the same thing. We're all just going through the exercise, but Donald Trump's a guy. Donald Trump is definitely going to repeat. He's going to be the Republican nominee as we move forward. I just don't see any way that that changes, but I don't think that's a bad thing. So don't hear what I ain't saying. Uh, I think DeSantis would be a, a great president. I think he would do a great job. I think it's 2028 for Ron. I just don't think this is his year. I think Trump's going to take this. I think we need Trump to actually come back. I mean, it worked once. 
Let's see if you can put the band back together and, and make that happen again. I hope you have a wonderful evening. We appreciate you making 97.1 part of your MLK holiday. Um, and we'll see how this coverage works out tonight. Hopefully your person wins. Hopefully you're not a never Nikki uh, because if, well, hopefully Nikki's not your person because they've got never Nikki's out there now. It's funny how it works out. It's Mike Keelum sitting in for Mark Reardon today. Thanks for being a part of our station here at 97.1 FM Talk. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.